0: Welcome to the Maximum Service Podcast, brought to- <laughs> All right, let me do it again. Welcome to the Maximum Service Podcast, brought to you by Mr. Lester Platt. We're just two idiots trying to explain ourselves and explain drug addiction and alcoholism. We hope you enjoy what we have to present. Listen up, it might save a life. Hey everyone, welcome to Maximum Service with Mark and John. I'm Mark. I'm um, John.
1: I'm going to cut you off a little bit. That's
0: okay. That's okay. As long as we don't talk over each other, I think we'll be okay. Um, so, uh, we just want to introduce ourselves and give a, a little background information on what we're doing here. Uh, so, I'll start off. I'm Mark. I'm a recovered drug addict and alcoholic. I've been sober since November 27th of 2012. Uh, my background, I've worked in the treatment industry for the past, I don't know, nine years or so. Um, a lot of that with John over here. I've also got a bachelor's in psychology, which John will definitely be giving me um, shit for, uh, I'm mm. sure, throughout this, calling me college boy and things like that. Um, but no, I've I've worked with drug addicts and alcoholics in my own personal life and in my professional life um, for almost 10 years now. I feel like I've got the... Um, background and expertise. I've seen what works and what doesn't work. I've seen a lot of people um, live and die uh, throughout the years, uh, along with John, um, side by side, trying to fight alcoholism and addiction um, in our daily lives. Uh, I got to know John, let's see, what was it? Seven, eight years ago? Yeah. Uh, or no, nine years ago. I, I met you in Sober Living when you, you graciously gave me that cigarette and then uh, told me to go away. Um, but no, I've, I've known John as a as a co-worker and a friend um, for a long time now, come to respect him a lot, um, and enjoy his company enough to do something like this with him where we're, we're trying to uh, inform um, and, and give back to the people who may not know about addiction and about alcoholism and what to do about it. And so uh, I'll let John Take the mic here let him introduce himself a little bit more
1: yeah so my name is uh john ulrich and uh i am also a recovered drug addict and alcoholic Um uh, been sober a little bit over 12 years um let's see i've worked in the recovery industry for approximately 11 and a half years or worked in it i recently gone out of the uh of the the industry um almost 10 12 years ago oh Ten. Yeah, it seems like <laughs> that's how fried you end up getting um, about 10 to 12 days ago. So this is the first time that I've been really a civilian um, and not worked in the industry and been sober. Um, you know, I was a, a program director uh, of a facility uh, in Wimberley, so I had to oversee um, different departments. Um, I've also participated in I participated in about four years of family programs. Uh, So that was once a month. Um, I had a a three-day session with families and and the addicts and alcoholics with them. So I have a lot of experience on the family side. Um, I also think that, you know, throughout this talk, we can talk about my experience with um, the struggles of uh, family members and partners that really don't understand um, the mindset of an alcoholic uh, or an addict and um, kind of what the troubles that people who are in the profession have um, in their attempts to help their loved one. And I think Mark uh, will agree with me that that's probably one of the biggest problems that we've experienced. Um, oh, most definitely. Yeah. It makes it very difficult. Um, if the family's in the wrong mindset, it almost makes it impossible for there to be a success. I will put
0: my name on that. And um, we'll be getting into yeah. but a ton of that. We Uh, will. As we move along. But
1: let me talk about Mark and my relationship with Mark. (laughs) Yes, please. Um, I did meet Mark as he was in Sober Living, and uh, he did ask for a cigarette. I gave him one and said, leave me alone, Um, (laughs) uh, because he was annoying me. And then uh, I would run into him at certain areas. Uh, Mark, just to let you know, I'll just give a little background on Mark. Well, he is happily married now. At one point, uh, he was uh, banned from uh, going around uh, sober living apartments.
0: I'll just leave it at that.
1: I'm not going to defend that myself. He's no angel yet. He helps people.
0: We're a constant uh, work yeah. in progress, yeah, as we, we say. Right?
1: Um, you are a a statue that is currently being chiseled. Still rough. <laughs> um still rough but it'll come around uh but you know we work together um when I say work together uh he worked for me under me as, yes John uh,
0: John was my boss for I those was his seven boss, years
1: so um you know we, we got to work together uh, I relied on him a lot which allowed me to do what I needed to do um so you know that's kind of uh where we're at I decided to leave the industry uh and Mark you know we've always talked about doing podcasts but uh You know, he finally had a situation and I said that it'd be great, uh, to talk about our side because I don't think that gets talked about enough. And of course we are just here to help. I'm pretty sure there's going to be some opinions that we have, um, that people aren't going to agree with and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, however, um, you know, I'm not interested in an argument with somebody. This is just my experience. If you've had a different experience, that's great. And I think there's many different ways that this thing can happen. This is just going to be based on our experience. And yeah, the, again, yeah, I kind of want to say that. Sorry, I can't... No, no, you're yeah. good.
0: The, the, whole, the whole point is to be helpful. Mm-hmm. That's what we talked about when we came in. Mm-hmm. We're both hoping to be as helpful as possible. You know, when we, mm-hmm. we started doing some recording uh, originally for a podcast, we were just bantering back and forth uh, just about various topics. Mm-hmm. But we figured that we could be much more helpful... And much more impactful if we actually honed in on our expertise and what we actually love to do i mean john and i have worked hand in hand trying to help addicts and alcoholics recover for years uh, oftentimes in the same room on the front lines with families um and so uh i guess with that uh, john do you have any any hopes or dreams or aspirations uh for for what you're trying to get out of this
1: uh yeah i think um I think there's just some things that don't really get talked about, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of uh, functions of some podcasts, especially with people that are in the industry, are maybe to promote...
0: The treatment center they work for. To
1: promote. They might not say it's the treatment center, but they want to promote that stuff, and I'm not really interested in that. Um, I, uh, my my hope is that one day treatment facilities aren't necessary. I know that that's probably not going to happen in my lifetime. It might never happen. Um, but there is a big difference in certain facilities and how they do things, and I'm not here to promote that. Um, I'm not here to promote um, my name or anything like that. You know, I'm just doing this to do it. Um, I don't think that anybody that, that becomes... And this is my opinion that anybody that becomes famous or seeks power to be put on a pedestal in this in this um, area really has to look at what what they're doing and why they're doing it, Um, because it takes a lot of humility to work in this program, Mm -hmm. to work in the industry and the program and deal with alcoholics and addicts. And I think once you get put on a pedestal, uh, you become greater than than what the actual um, thing is. And so. I'm really about that. So maybe that, I might have a little bit of uh reservation against, you know, like putting my name out. If you know, I just, I kind of, there's some things that I just don't want to, uh, I just don't want to be put out there.
0: Well, you're not going to do something if you don't believe in it. You're yeah. not going to put your stamp of approval on yeah. it. And I, I, I really respect that and honor that. And I appreciate you agreeing to, uh, to do this with me um, because my aim is to, is just to be purely helpful, not to be critical, not to... Um, create a name or anything. Uh, We just intend on doing a series, speaking to various groups of people. Um, One of the the groups that we're gonna be talking to more specifically is, of course, the drug addict and the alcoholic. I mean, one of my biggest problems, getting sober, and I don't know if you were the same way, when I was was young, there wasn't a lot of really good information out there about what is addiction, what do I do about addiction? what, where do I need to go to find people who know what they're talking about? It was kind of just a lot of flailing in the, in the wind, and I would imagine it was the same for you, too, um, purely because uh, no one really knows. You know, there, are, there isn't a, a loud group of people out there expressing some of the ideas that, that we're about to present, so... We we're talking primarily, at least to this one group, the group of addicts who don't know what direction to turn, who are you know, hopeless at the current moment and, and just don't have a good set of information or a good roadmap, I guess is a good GPA, GPS system um, for where to go. They simply uh, are kind of flailing and hoping that they land in sobriety, and a lot of people end up dead behind that. So w- the, the goal, I guess one of the goals in my mind, is to talk to people who have no other way out. Um, and I think we're, we're, we're quite good at that and we can reach some people with that. I think you're especially good at it.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think the biggest mistake and probably the most common thing that we dealt with um, or that I've dealt with is the idea that by osmosis, you're just going to figure it out and um, one day wake up with all the answers and life's going to change. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way um You're actually going to have to look at some stuff, and I think that's you know, as we talk about it, like we want to speak toward the addict, addict alcoholic who might not have information. We also want to speak about the family, um, as you, you know, I said earlier. Yeah, you hit on that earlier. Oh man, like I think that's that's a big that's a big thing that's not talked about.
0: Um, we'll it, it expand on that a little bit okay. more. I mean, so
1: I'll expand on it. There's there's two different things. I think the family when you come to Let's say twelve-step fellowships and thing like that. Things like that, um, where I think used in the past, the family was a little bit more involved. Uh, not so much, you know. However, in this age of everybody, a lot of people go into treatment, and and I don't know if I don't know if what accelerates that, you know. In the past, you know, treatments were a little bit different. Um, you know the the the, the opiate situation, um, which you know we've. You know I looked over, I was talking with somebody, I think there was three people that that died from opiates, more likely fentanyl. That were all in a group, and it was shocking that it was like three people, that were, I knew, um, I knew very well, and uh, I was actually shocked, uh, and I'm not usually shocked. Uh, I'm kind of. Um, uh, very accustomed to people dying and hearing about them dying. So I don't have a lot of emotion around that, um, probably around the, the work I've done. But, you know, taking it back to the family side and, you know, how important that is to be educated, for the family to be educated, because it's, it's, it goes beyond um, the idea that somebody's just going to figure it out. And there are certain things that a family member can do, that a partner can do, that a friend can do, that will definitely either prolong the addiction or shorten it. And that takes effort. And that, you know, there's a couple of things we're gonna talk about that requires you to become very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And you you, you know, when you talk about the addict, when we talk about that, that's another thing. Um, You know, comfort is such a thing. You know, um and it, it has different areas that comfort comes into play when when we're talking about alcoholism and, and drug addiction um, unfortunately, comfort doesn't create change and uh that's that's kind of a big issue but yes family uh, and having to do family groups um, I think the biggest one of the biggest struggles is their lack of understanding uh, just around the idea that you can't just convince yourself um that there's a better life or
0: you can't think your way out of drinking or using well and there's there's a lot of um illogical approaches that don't make sense to the family Mm -hmm. um and there's a lot of things that the family has to do in order to well i guess snuff out the fire there's a certain way that they have to show up certain things that they need to do in order to create that space for recovery to happen. And I think you got to see that firsthand.
1: Yeah, I did. And there's also something too. It's like, oh, you know, if you burned it so much that your family doesn't want to be involved, they don't have to be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to no, know if you're an adult and you're doing this stuff and and you've, you've caused enough damage to where your family doesn't want to be involved anymore, your partner doesn't want to be involved, that's their right. Um, They have to kind of be okay with themselves and what they do. Um, So not to give an out to people, but everybody has a choice in their life. And people get to choose to set boundaries. And that's also part of addiction and being healthy is setting boundaries. And possibly setting those boundaries will create space for the other person, the alcoholic, the addict, to actually do something, mm-hmm. and maybe they can mend or bridge something, but it possibly won't. Um, I mean, we can go into a bunch of stuff. There's, there's a lot of things. Well,
0: that, we, can, we can save all that, too, for, I know you know, I for later to. episodes. Now, all we all want to sudden, jump right into it, right? Well, now
1: all of a sudden, I want to go to this idea that addicts and alcoholics seem to have this thing about fairness, and uh, to be honest, I don't think that was ever promised in the world. No, we've dealt with that. Yeah, right? yeah this all isn't the time. fair. This isn't da da da. And I'm like, who?
0: Well, I'm not going to do that unless you do this. Yeah, I'm
1: like, when did that ever? Uh, I don't know where that guarantee came from. Like, you just looked at your arm and it said, oh, guaranteed that everything would be fair. Um, yeah. You know, some people have different experiences, just like families. You know, some people have family members that die. Some people don't. Some people have kids that just did what would be considered very you know, breaking the law doing all that stuff. Some people didn't. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, had kids that went to school, everything was working out. All of a sudden, doctor gives them some Adderall for college and now they graduate to speed. Then they discover ox, you know, it's like all this stuff.
0: So, you well, there's, know, there's you know. a lot of different directions that mm-hmm. that people can go with their advice. Yeah. With what they do with boundaries and and I'm sure we'll, we're going to get into. Yeah, so too. what
1: should we focus on? Cuz there, there's so much. I mean, this could be we can wow. talk hours about this, and we have. Well, so what I, do you I, want to focus on on this one?
0: Well, I think we, we should probably start with, um, well, why don't we just start at the basic question, right? Well, what is addiction and alcoholism? Because one of the core things that I know I saw or I've seen working mm-hmm. with families and, and individuals is people have an idea about what drug addiction is or what alcoholism is, and it, it's um, it's always wrong right off the bat. There, Everyone focuses on consequences everyone focuses on, it needs to look like this and fit in a box, and then people simply don't understand um, the, powerless, the powerlessness piece. You know, people think that, oh, they should be able to think their way out of it, they should be able to logic their way out of it, oh, uh, you know, little, little Sonny is, is he's, he's feeling good and he's acting good, and can't you see he's going to the gym? That means he's doing good, you know, he's got a job. Um, and people just don't, they don't know and therefore they can't be supportive in the right way. So maybe that's the question we start with is what is drug addiction and alcoholism? So what is, what would you say to that question? If you're Uh, breaking it down? That's like a loaded
1: question because there's, okay, now there's different ways to look at this. It's all going to center, but it is a loaded question because you're going to have your fellowship side and we should probably talk about that. There's different sides. There's different viewpoints. You're going to have your 12 step fellowship side I'm not really I'll comment on it like kind of basic stuff but I don't want to get into it because um, I don't want to speak for any of them but it's what I I'm in a fellowship but I'm also understanding this other side there's that there's a clinical side um, you know these there's different avenues different ideas around it and then there's going to have a thing where it's just they don't believe it you know there's like you're, you're going to have like
0: Three different, yeah, you're
1: going to have a spectrum of what people believe it is. Um, you know, in my experience, um, I do believe that there is a physical allergy to it or a physical um, uh, component to it. Uh, I believe that the body processes things different uh, in my experience. So, uh, you know, just to be frank and let everybody know, like, so opiates work different for me then usually they work for somebody that's not an opiate addict. Um, and that's how I can, I relate a lot to, when I say that, opiate addicts kind of get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And that is when I put an opiate in my body, I don't get tired and drowsy and like some other people do. Uh, you know, I don't want to just relax. When I put an opiate in my body, I get energy. Um, it makes me want to be part of things. It makes me want to be involved. Um, I'm not going to say makes me. It just it gives me that boost. That's not normal. Yeah, that's it does something what, different for yeah, you. Yeah, that's not normal. That's not what I should do. And when I do do that... When oh I do God, do thirsty. that, I know. When I do do that... You're not allowed to be thirsty, by <laughs> the way, during this thing. When I do do that... I just said, yeah. I... I can't, I don't usually just one pill doesn't satisfy. Um, without thinking, I just put one more, one more, one more. Um, and I'm not even thinking about it. It's just happening. Because one is good, two is better, three. Yeah, I'm just trying to like, without even thinking about it, I'm trying to get to this place that doesn't really exist. And it, it happens really without thought. And it happens maybe even with a plan. I think we've been there and that, see, there's a logic. You have to look at that. When people go, I don't understand why somebody would do that. Then that's the perfect understanding that they have an issue. And then it's not by choice. If I can go like, I don't understand why that happens. Okay. If you don't understand it then why do you think that you can label it by that's a choice?
0: Yeah, clearly it's not.
1: Clearly it's not. But yet, you know, but everybody wants to do that, yet they don't understand how this person does it this way. So if I don't understand it, then I'm going to blame it on you and say it's a choice. Um, And that's hard. I mean, it's hard to be on the side of addiction and see how people write about that. They write negative things. They write, oh, this is their choice. You know, this is what they want to do. And... You don't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. And you know, I didn't want to wreck everything.
0: Yeah, that would imply that you're a horrible person yeah. or idiotic. And that's or, you know obviously yeah. not true in a, mm-hmm. a variety of cases.
1: But there's some things. So physical, there's some things that happen in the body. There's some things that happen in, in, the, uh, in the body and alcoholic. There's some things that happen in your brain. I think that's another thing that maybe gets mixed up because people think, oh, it's mental. There's some mental stuff. Well, guess what? Physical includes your brain. Anything in your body is physical. And it, it finally woke up to that, that, oh, you know, not a, it just, it's not, just it's this. Yeah, There's it's it's an also, actual physical reaction that happens here. I'm not talking about thought. I'm not talking, I mean.
0: Well, for me, it was like something, know, when, I, when I started drinking or using, it was like something hijacked everything. Hmm. You know, it was, my brain was taken hmm. over. My body was taken over. I was almost compelled or, or fueled by something else. And it pushed me forward in a direction that led me to consequences that I didn't want to experience. There was no choice in the matter at all. It was, I put one in my body and it was, how do I get the next one? I wasn't consciously thinking that necessarily, but I was always moving in the direction of one more, one more, one more, one more. Until I would either black out or run out of ways to get more. That's just how it went for me.
1: And I, I think the what you have to look at is I, I don't think anybody, uh, you know, there's Russian roulette, you know, but there, there's different peoples in the people in the world, and you kind of need them. You need the risk takers, and then you need the safe players. You know, I think uh, when it comes to addiction, you've got those people that. Oh, will, you're talking you know, about the wild I'm ones just talking, versus well, the. I'm just talking about you need that in the world. You do need people that are willing to push boundaries, and you need people that kind of hold back. That's what stabilizes everything unfortunately i think a lot of us that could be you know that are in the addict alcoholic we were willing to take willing to take risks Mm -hmm. without the understanding of what was going to happen believe me i didn't just go into um drinking and smoking pot and doing hallucinogens and and then turning into these things thinking this is going to wreck me and i'm not going to be able to stop that wasn't I had dreams. I had things I wanted to do. Um, You know, I used these things to basically, you know, I wanted to have fun. I wanted to feel relaxed. I wanted to do these things. I just wanted to have fun. There's was a
0: variety of reasons. I just
1: wanted to have fun. When you're 16. That's how it starts. Yeah, I just want to have fun. I wasn't one of those guys that drank and all of a sudden at 12, they drank and it was Everything. I didn't know what was everything at
0: 12. So for you, it was a slow yeah, progression. it was a
1: slow. I didn't, I, you know, and that's interesting. And I'm not getting on that. I just don't understand that. Because at 12, I don't know what was the thing.
0: But that is how it happens it, for some people. It does. And that's where I'm like,
1: when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, whoa. Like, not only did you have to deal with it at a very young age, but there really must have been some stuff that was... Compelling you. Yeah, you were struggling with for you to to have that drink and then everything worked, you know, everything opened up and you just wanted to keep doing that. I'm trying to, I try to think of like going back to that and I just can't, I don't have that experience.
0: Um, so, so there's that physical piece.
1: Yeah, there's that physical piece. There's a satisfying piece in that thing where all of a sudden you take a sip and then, you know, you're plastered and you don't know how, you don't know why. Um, and it seems to happen more often than not. And I think that's that, thats the kicker—is that it happens when you
0: do it. It happens more often than not. Well, so let's let's talk about the other component then, mm-hmm. too—the one that no one understands, the no, one that is baffling. There's no brain chemistry to it that we're aware of. There's no uh, you know body chemistry that we're aware of. Um, it for me it was the piece that worked um, through rationalization. Basically, I, I recognized I had a problem after a while. I ran into so many consequences. And for me, only an, uh, an idiot couldn't see that drugs and alcohol were an issue in my life. And so I had an honest desire to stop. I went, I can't do this anymore. It's standing in the way of those, you know, those dreams and goals that you talked about. And um, for some reason, unbeknownst to me, I had something going on in my head that went, you can do this again. You can have one more. And it would show up randomly. I'd be trying to stay sober. I'd put some time together, not very long, couple days, couple weeks. You know, I'd go to a, a rehab or something like that. Or I'd, you know, I remember one stint of my sobriety, I was just going to the gym. And then all of a sudden, I go after the gym, I went, oh, my back hurts. You know, I could really use, you know, I, I could really use 10 Vicodin. Because that's what'll that's fix it. What'll fix it. <laughs> Despite me, you know, already having some really bad experiences with, you know, eating handfuls of pills, um, or you know, uh, another time in college, I was trying to stay sober. I went to a bar with some friends. You know, oh, I'm going to be the DD tonight. That whole thing, and then running into a girl I really liked, and, and I go, you know what? I don't have the courage to talk to this girl. You know, it would give me courage. Like five shots of whiskey. <laughs> that's what'll do it. So there was always something in my head when I was sober that would go, you can get away with it. You can do it. You can have one more. And then towards the end, I don't know about you, but towards the end, when I kind of knew that everything was messed up with me physically, mentally, I kind of just went, I don't care. This is, this is going yeah, down. Yeah, We're yeah. doing this.
1: No, I get that. And I can relate. I can also relate. Like, I have no clue. I don't have no clue why my brain did that and obsessed over that. And other people don't do it. They have a bad experience. I am not going to do that anymore. I don't understand it. I don't think you can explain it. I think people try to explain it. But if you're really honest, I don't have, I don't, I don't understand that part of me. Um, (coughs) because I think we talked about, like I've done other things. I put my mind to other things and got, and done it. Mm -hmm. Even if it was painful, I've done it. Um, I don't know why. I don't know, you know. That's the most confusing
0: thing is why it is confusing can we-
1: and it's like, how do I, you know, whatever you do, you just can't stop thinking about it. And yeah, you're right. Toward the end, I think toward the end, I just, the idea of being sober was just too painful. Physically, it was painful. Mentally, you're shot then you just don't want to deal with stuff anymore. And it wasn't working as long, but maybe you're getting into other stuff. You know, I was shifting to other things that would keep me disconnected longer.
0: You mean separated from so reality? Just
1: say, yeah, so my stuff ended up coming from where opiates were a big thing for me. Opiates only last a certain amount of time. Everybody knows it you got about a four hour block and really you got a three hour and really you get a two hour cause you spend the last other hour figuring out how, how to you get know, more or unless you got things going. So what do you do? You, you kind of go lean toward things that maybe last a little bit longer. Maybe you get into math where you I can was going to say, you got to be talking days. about math. Hey, you get up for three or four days, you know? Um, and then you just start fading away. You know, and people can see it happening. I don't know if you can necessarily see it happening to yourself. Um, but I don't understand the mental part. I don't think I have to understand it. I just know it happens well, for me. I,
0: I think it's unexplainable. Yeah. And that's what families really need to understand is these things are beyond our reason, beyond mm. our control, and we don't one hundred percent know why these things are happening, but they are. Yeah. And, and it doesn't yeah. really do any good to figure it out. It, it doesn't.
1: Th- I think, you know, sometimes you're like, I don't have to figure it out. I just know that now I don't experience that. And what did I do to get there? I don't really give a shit if I can figure that part out. Yeah. If I can if I can find a solution to it, it doesn't matter. Well, I'm not going to sit here and try to dig this hole. I I want the solution, that's where I'm going to go. So if you want to sit and ask why, and why does this happen? And I think that's what families do. They want to find a reason. Yeah. They want to find a reason, and maybe they want to find a reason that they can relieve themselves of guilt because they think they've done something.
0: Yeah, that's quite possible. Or
1: maybe they just want to put out there so they can just take it all. There's, just, there's a couple things. But the deal is, and the situation is, if you find out what the reason is, it's done. Like, there's no... It, that doesn't
0: do anything. Well, that's definitely something that I want to get into mm-hmm. in a later series because a lot of people do go into that too often. They go into the why, thinking that if they figure mm-hmm. out the why, they'll solve the, the present, and that's not really how addiction works. And so, um, with that, let's, just, let's uh, stay in here on what is a drug addiction and alcoholism. So, if we had to summarize it, if someone was just watching a quick little YouTube clip right now, physical and mental...
1: Yeah, I mean, those are going to be the two points. I mean, I'm going to dance around the other thing. Go
0: ahead. Yes, sir. Because
1: there is something that's empty. There is something in that. The the thing that you can't... It has to be all... It has to be like a multiple kind of thing. Like, it's got to be... There's got to be a physical component. There's got to be a mental component. And then there's got to be some kind of separation component. When I say separation, just like a loss of self and understanding and faith and stuff. The reason why I don't separately like to talk about that as something that is unique to the alcoholic addict is because everybody can experience that. And sure. that's really the big separator for me. Um, I don't think it's fair to be like, that I suffer more that way than somebody else, because that's not true. right? And... Well, I think people lean on that. That's very good. I mean, you need to lean on that sometimes, but you can't say that's just us. And that happens. So what is the alcoholic addict? The alcoholic addict, to me is somebody that potentially suffers from, you know, a separation from something, from self from authentic self. And um, And when I say authentic self, that's a connection to something outside of themselves
0: saying things without trying to offend other other people. Well, so, I, I view it very similar. Yeah. Maybe I can present it a little yeah, bit differently. Yeah,
1: present it because I, I yeah, there's a something <laughs> I've just been taught to kind of not taught, but I just don't want to, you know, upset. You know, there's there's a component. I'm a spiritual person.
0: Um Well, anyway, how about, how about I present it? Why do you present it? And then I'll I'll try to um agree or disagree.
1: Agree or disagree, but there's a, some points I want to make where you explain it and there are some points i want to make about that
0: sure so the way i see drug addiction and alcoholism is it's a physical and mental component or there are two components physical and mental the first one is what we talked about basically once i put it into my body there's not really an ability to control how much i'm going to drink or use Mm -hmm. in a certain sitting it's usually contextual meaning if i'm left to my own devices and there's no consequences that are going to occur. My choice, day in, day out, is to do it intoxicated. More, 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 more. And then once I realize that that's an issue, I try and stay sober, and then the mental component comes up. I have to have, um, there's there's some sort of thing that's driving me to take another one after I should have learned my uh, my lesson. And then I think the what you were talking about just a second ago is, because there's this loss of identity or loss of sense of self or there's certain self-esteem issues or pride issues that blocks me off from staying sober, from following through with some sort of plan, uh, to stay sober. Basically the same thing kind of you presented, but instead of a, uh, almost a, a whole, just a lack of defense mm,
1: because I, like I don't, that, yeah. I don't
0: live, you know, um, a um a responsible lifestyle as far as my character is concerned
1: i like that so lack of defense that's a good one because i forget about that like i have a lack of defense against that unless i can unless i can connect with something you know so when i say like authentic self what i really mean is like a connection to more of a universal energy um not necessarily religious but um something that embodies Kind of what I feel like drives everything and mm-hmm. connects us all. Um, I use the word God just because I'm just kind of. <laughs> it's, it's silly. Easy. Well, it's silly. It's easy. It's silly to say oh, power of the universe, spirit of the whatever. I just <laughs> man, I've had to say that so many times just to so I don't alienate somebody or somebody doesn't get offended. I don't care. I don't care what you call it. It doesn't. God's easy. It's three letters. It's one syllable i don't have the same attachment um it doesn't uh, have the same
0: weight or significance that other people put on it
1: it just doesn't for me and i'm not saying that that i'm not trying to negate stuff from other people but when you're trying to talk to you know a ton of people um that is a frustrating part because i just want to talk i just want to have conversations around it and not really it's hard to talk to somebody at the same time you're having to navigate all their emotions that you don't even know about, you know, like just stuff where they think where, where people think that you're like offending, like you're purposely offending them. And I'm like, I'm just trying to have a conversation with you. And that's a big thing. I think if we want to take it back to eventually we'll get there is, um, you know, when you do work with families and we do do work with stuff, nothing, nothing's meant to be offensive. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm also not trying to be your friend. And, and and that's probably where people think they're getting offended. I'm like, I'm not really interested in, in being a friend to a family member. When I'm explaining that stuff, I'm just saying like, hey, here's a way out and it's gonna be real uncomfortable and you're probably not gonna like me because I'm gonna have to tell you some truths about what's happening.
0: Well, but the, the whole process of recovery and the whole process mm-hmm. of sobriety is uncomfortable. I yeah. mean, what I talked about a second ago, the, the lack of defense and an inability to live up to the, the character Um, values that you know is a a proper way of living um, is the solution to alcoholism and addiction, you know, isn't it? At least that's what I found is that when I learned through a variety of tools from, you know, clinical to, you know, 12-step fellowships and things like that, what I learned to do was write my character and orient my character in a way that was more helpful, more productive, that created... um, uh, higher self esteem, things that I could be really proud of. You know, that was the solution for alcoholism and addiction, at least for me in my experience. But that process was super uncomfortable and um, definitely wasn't something that I look back on and I go, I'm real, I'm grateful for that experience, but I'm not particularly fond of some of the uncomfortable situations um, and behavioral changes that I had to undergo in order to get sober.
1: I agree on that. Um, I think some of the uncomfortable stuff, too, was um, probably not called for. Um, (laughs) I think you can go too far. I think you can cause harm in what you're doing. For sure. I think that um, some of the treatment facilities and what they attempt to do, while it's in good, they believe there's good intentions. I think there's long-lasting effects um, to people in sobriety or who get sober that way. Um, I know several of my friends where, you know, we, we, we got it, you know, we're sober. It was good. I've had some really good things come out of it, but there's also some things that, uh, in my personality that changed and that was brought to my attention very recently. Uh, I became very rigid in some things. Mm Um, and, uh, I kind of raised a standard within myself that, might have, that probably wasn't um, uh, reasonable. I set expectations that there's no way I could, I could fulfill them.
0: So you're saying in that uncomfortable process? Yeah, and that, yeah
1: there's got to be. There's, there's a difference between uncomfortable and creating um, tr- uh, wiring or trauma yeah no yeah yeah there's and and where you where it you changes your whole outlook there's there's different ways to do it you know, I have people in my life that actually made really good changes and and they you know and they' it didn't affect them in a certain way it, you know it depends on how you're taught you can get a mentor that can really mess you up mm-hmm. you can be sober, but you can be really messed up um, you can be you can It's like you're taught that in certain areas, you're talking about, I want to have freedom to go be me, you know, and uh, when you talk about alcohol and and drug addiction, you know, we want to find the solution, but I don't want to change you. I don't want to change who you are, like the, the who you are. At its core level. Yeah, I don't want to scare you. Sure. And I think that's a fine line, man.
0: Well, it's, it's, well, and, that, and that's why it's important to, to talk about this stuff with families too, because mm-hmm. you have to be tactful. Yeah. You have to be intelligent enough to present it properly. And as, as you once told me, you have to learn how to play chess rather than checkers. Yeah. Um, because addiction is tricky. Yeah. You're dealing with a lot of feelings, emotions, mm-hmm. um, traumas from the past that you may not even know about. And the person that's trying to help you has to be in the know they have to know the solution they have to know how to present it or they can in the in the quest to make you uncomfortable they can go overboard and they can do some damage
1: yeah yeah i mean there's certain things i mean there's certain things that that i think are inappropriate um you know as we're talking about like what's the addict? what's the what's what's the alcoholic i got this thing I got this physical thing. I've got this mental thing that we can't explain. It just happens in us. There's also this emptiness that we're probably experiencing. Um, It's probably getting worse, you know, like it's probably driven by a lot of stuff that maybe you didn't really identify, you know. Um, I didn't understand what normal was, and I didn't really understand that until I got sober that I didn't understand what normal was. I just thought. I just, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand how you're not anxious. I don't know what that means. Um, I can explain, I can understand it now, but, you know, I just, I didn't have a lot of scope on what was, what was like normal and what wasn't, because I've only lived in myself. Um, but I, I want to go back to that. Like, there's some things that are just to me, inter- that just shouldn't happen. Um, one is, uh, and I participated in this and had to make some real changes. Like evolved, I've evolved in my ideas around this. Um, you know, you definitely can't fear anybody into surrendering something. That's not what surrender is. The, to have somebody really say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let go of this, some of these ideas. I'm gonna go do this. I'm gonna just go all in. You can't, you can't do that. You also can't tell people how they feel. That's a big one with me. I don't understand where people have the right to do that. Um, You know, that's where that that dynamic happens. And and also shaming is is a big thing, and I participated in it. And I thought I was doing good things. Um, But I slowly learned that there's other ways. And there's your extremes. I mean, you're just going to have your extreme people that do it this way, and they can be successful. And there's these extreme people that do it the other way. And they can be successful. But what I've noticed is that all the people that are extreme this way and all the people that are extreme this way, in my knowing them, have shifted and started. They just center. They just come to the center. They realize that this might not have been the way. It might not have been the way to shame and to cause chaos and to beat somebody into submission. These people have also realized that you can't just... Be willy nilly and do whatever you want, and I'm not going to bring awareness to your behavior. I'm not going to just say, "Oh, everything's okay. You're okay. Everything's okay. You're doing great." You have to find some way to present things in a way that's that will impact them, but also will not harm them. And I I got schooled on that, you know, in in the last. I'm going to say five,
0: six years. Yeah, you have to, you have to learn how to be assertive yeah. while being compassionate. And th- they both struggle from the same problem. It's the same problem that families have, mm-hmm. that friends have, that we all have in relationships, which is I don't quite know how to approach this, and I don't have the toolkit to approach it correctly, so I'm going to rely on what I think is best for this moment and lean on whatever toolkit that I've been provided. And oftentimes that that does end up causing a lot of harm. You know, sometimes it creates shame in an individual. Sometimes it creates trauma in an individual. And sometimes it lets an individual get away with way too much. You know, they're not able to um, fully flourish uh, because they're not being challenged or pushed in a certain direction. There's no boundaries for them. They can kind of run over anyone that they want.
1: Yeah. So my big thing, my big thing, if we're going back to, like we're talking about different ways, different... Different ways to to see things. Different. What's an alcohol? I want to always go back. What's an alcoholic? What's an addict? How do family members work? So, what are the biggest things that I found? And you know, we when we were working, I mean, family members can just make it just get. They can just make it impossible. Uh you know, part of me is like. If you can't hold boundaries and, and you're not even gonna to attempt to understand what's going on, I don't even know why you're wasting your time. And if you're paying for the person to be there, I don't know why you're doing that. Um, that's that's the biggest issue I had. You're gonna be dealing with somebody who's not healthy. And if you can't listen to experts, even if, you know, even if they're like a little nutty, even if they have a little bit of ideas that you know, in hindsight, might not be the best. Um, the intention is good. And what they're trying to do is, is kind of educate you on what's going on. And some of the even, even I think the wildest and craziest people have good boundaries. They all say the same thing. You hold your boundary. Don't give him a choice or her a choice. Don't pick him up. Don't keep paying for stuff. Everybody, these are common things that get, that get told, like you're not gonna change that. It's like, you wanna do the 10 commandments of what families need to do to help an addict? They don't change. They never have changed, they're not gonna change. And the problem is families are uncomfortable, they don't wanna do it, they think it's too harsh, they think it's this, they think it's that. And uh, that's the biggest struggle, because without them, this other person has to be extremely motivated. And you you have to take the safety net away. That's the only way that's gonna promote
0: somebody trying to make actual changes in their life. Well, isn't it wild that, uh, well, one of the things that I found wild was, and continue to find wild is when people are paying for that type of treatment and they've agreed to come to like those family sessions, they'll get in those family sessions and they will go, I'm not doing that. as if they're some sort of expert, as if it's, it's uh, I think we've talked about this before, where it's like a peewee football player signing up for the NFL, and they're like, oh, I'm going to take on the linebacker, you know, I'm going to be just fine. And it, that always blows my mind, is you get a, a room full of experts, and, and everyone can kind of universally agree on a couple topics, is like the boundaries thing don't pay for this you know your son is 25 your son is 30 your daughter is 36. you should not be paying for these things Mm -hmm. she needs to be taking care of herself he needs to be acting in this way and that's just really simple stuff and people sit there in a room and they go no 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 i know better even though i am paying for this even though you have years of clinical training or years of experience in this field you have walked this path before me the truck driver from Minnesota who has never dealt with addiction or alcoholism ever, I'm actually going to be the expert now. It's just, it's baffling to me that that is what happens. And I don't mean to be, you know, insulting to anyone with that. It just, there has to be a certain amount of hum- humility within the family to have this whole process work. You know, there has to be humility from the, the from the counselor humility from the, or the 12 step person, or whoever the expert is that's trying to help, there has to be humility from the family and there has to be humility from the the person in recovery. Like, yeah, all those agree. have to be firing.
1: I would agree with that. Uh, there's, you know, there's a couple things, you know. I do like that. It's like you're talking to somebody that's been the, I always tell the, I would tell the clients and tell people, like, you have this idea of what it is. I was like, I've been to the Super Bowl 12 times. Yeah. And you're like this high school player who thinks that you know how to win the Super Bowl. I'm like, you don't even like, why would you even, why would you, you would never think that you would never walk into a locker room and go like, guys, I've, I can do this. You know, I've got this, you guys, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Um, I think families, um, going back to that now yeah, there has to be some humility. I think there's also like, why do I have to work on myself? It's them. Um, but you also got, in doing that, you have to admit that maybe there's some things that you didn't do right. Or not right, I wouldn't say that. I would just you just didn't, but you didn't do it or you didn't know the outcome was going to be what it was. Just like I didn't know continuing to put the stuff in my body was going to wreck it. How does, a fam- how, does a, um, how does a family member who's never really dealt with it or doesn't understand it, how do they make a decision or, or come to the conclusion at that moment that... Well, if I don't pay, you know, if I pay his insurance over and over, this is going to cause a big, this is going to be part of the problem. Because I'm thinking I'm helping them. I'm keeping them out of trouble. What happens if they get into a wreck, they don't have insurance, so wind up in prison? So I think the idea is to be helpful. The only problem is, in the end, it breeds, yeah, it breeds, uh, somebody who's now relying on somebody else and doesn't really have to do anything and doesn't really have to face who they really are. Could be. Um, that's my biggest thing. i uh, not my biggest. I keep saying that when it came to families, I was always shocked that I would ask the family member. Of course, we're talking about like somebody in mid twenties, thirties, family members are paying for car insurance, all this stuff. And we're just like, and I get it. You know, it's like, it's not like I didn't live that either, but Here's a situation, I'll ask the family member, um, how'd you grow up? What happened in 18 with you? And a lot of them are like, yeah, I had to leave the house. I had to get a job. I paid for my own college. And I'm like, and so how did your life turn out? And they were very successful because they had to be motivated. They didn't have a safety net. In doing all those things, they taught themselves or through experience that they could do these things. And I think what the big thing is when family members continue to do these things for somebody and their intention is to help them, whether they want to say this or not, what they're telling the addict or alcoholic subconsciously, what's, what's being put in is you can't do it without me. You can't do these things. That's why I'm doing them for, for you. I think it might be cool at first. Oh, I don't have to deal with anything. And then you realize, I don't really know how to deal with this stuff. And other people in my life like, that are my age know how to deal with, that, deal with it. And then you have to come up with excuses why you're not doing it. Because you can't just say, I'm scared to death. I don't even know. I don't know how to call the insurance. What do I say? Because I don't look stupid especially if I'm 25, 26. Well,
0: because I've never had to risk looking stupid. I've never yeah. learned how to grow through that. I've never faced adversity because so, someone has been facing it for me my whole life. Exactly. So your character, you don't know how, you know, you just, you lose things. Now,
1: luckily, you can get them back real quick. Luckily, yep. the slope, if you, get, if you well, do if, it.
0: If someone cuts you out well, and somebody, then you If face somebody
1: it. cuts you up, you can actually become an adult. A a responsible adult that takes care of stuff. Um, When I finally sobered up, you know, I had my mother had helped me out a lot, so did my family. And I would, there's a proud moment where I don't really, I don't think I've asked for much. I don't need anything. You know, I'm never going to call my mom and go, hey, can you give me 500 bucks? You know, if I don't have 500 bucks because I want something, I don't have it, I just save up for it. You know, that's not the John in his 20s. You know, that's not the, uh, hey, I just pawned this. Can you go get it out for me? You know, I love that part. Oh, you gave this to me, and then I pawned it. And I pawned it real cheap because I told myself I was going to go back and get it. And then the very last day, the pawn tickets up. I'm like, I need you to go get that because I don't have any money. And then they have to go get it. And they do it. And they do it, you know. Well, thank God my mom did it on one thing because I would have (laughs) been... I would have been heartbroken if that would have uh, gone away but to, there's that family component. You know, and they have to work on themselves if they want to or you know, hey, you don't want to. That's the consequences. You like half there's consequences to things. You can be detrimental. I might tell a client or or somebody I'm working with that you probably should cut them out of your life. When I say cut them out, you need to hold a boundary. I think cut outs probably a really harsh word but you have to set a boundary because they can, they can still be toxic. So family members can be toxic. Love, uh, the, the addict and alcoholic can definitely be toxic. And that you have to do, you have to work on both. And either the family member is going to set a boundary and live their life or you're going to get sober and you're going to go live your life. Those are the two, or you guys are going to work on it together. So you have... Basically three choices. And that's the choices, but you have to be okay with the consequences of those choices. And I think that's where the struggle is. You know, nobody wants to
0: pay the piper. Well, the, the thing that I've seen a lot with families is that they, they'll come back after a certain amount of time. Someone's relapsed, and they'll come back and they'll go, Go, we go, we should have listened to you last time. You know, like how many times have you heard that? Where they go, well, we, we didn't really follow any of the suggestions that you made. And um, our son ended up relapsing. And here's what ended up happening. And we don't have a crystal ball, but we kind of have a crystal ball. You know what I mean? It, yeah. We have foretold exactly what that relapse will look like. And so in your experience, what do you usually hear as far as oh, okay. like relapse is concerned? What do you, what is what are the what tends to be the the hallmarks of a of a relapse? Well these are classic
1: ones that everybody talks about. I think um, I kinda wanna be mindful of Those are classic ones
0: that are like, oh, the money, success. They started focusing too much on the money. Yeah,
1: they start doing all that. I think the classic, I think what happens is whatever got you to that spot. Let's just, if we're talking treatment, whatever got you there, you just stop doing it. I think you just thought that you could do this kind of work and then leave it there oh like you graduated yeah i think it's a graduation thing you know that's where you know the people that stay sober you're still working you're still you're very aware of what's going on and let's say you don't ever even do like let's say you've been rocking 12-step fellowship and you're doing that maybe it doesn't work for you anymore maybe it doesn't work for your this is a very touchy subject too and i used to be real hardcore like how could you how could you walk away from this and think that's okay? It doesn't. For me, I'm not there. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be there where I would just walk away. I know people that have, and they're successful, and they do their thing. I think they're also very aware of um, what's going on in their life, and they might see a therapist. They might, they'll find something in there where they're growing. Um, what I think that happens is people get out and they stop doing the things that bring awareness to them around what's happening. And when I say what's happening, I go, it's internally happening. Um, that's, I mean, relapse is like, I relapsed, but I wasn't doing anything. So I wasn't really in the game. So I don't really call it a relapse. I was like, oh, I just took like a six week pause. Cause I didn't do anything. I didn't do. I you know I sat. And I went to a thirty day treatment.
0: Yeah, it's kind of hard to relapse when you never really were sober. I didn't really do
1: anything in I, the first you know, place. You know, I got. I ate and I smoked cigarettes and um, living a know, good life. Yeah, and I I got. Um, I was around a bunch of people, you know, so I was distracted. Um, you know, and then I got out, and life was pretty boring when you're not distracted, and. Uh, so I can't, you know, my relapse was like, I don't know, I just didn't, I wasn't doing anything to begin with, so it was only a matter of time. But I think other people, it's like, you have to keep growing. And I find like, if you're doing what you need to do, I don't, I can't, I don't understand. So I, cause I haven't been there. I don't understand why, why all of a sudden it would come in and, and it would be so f- like the, the middle of session or that thing would come in so much.
0: To where you'd have another yeah, one?
1: Yeah, like, I just, I, it's hard for me. I'm like, well, you know, I've just never experienced that.
0: Yeah, I've only seen it happen. Yeah, I've
1: only seen it, so and I don't
0: know. So what I see is generally a lot of what you said. There's a lot of um, complacency and a lot mm-hmm. of over-focus on things that, I'll say they're recovery-related, um, but there's you kind of lose sight of the original thing, which is that I'm working and I'm growing Every single day to become closer to that um, that internal goodness that exists within every single person. People drift away from their principles and values very easily and get distracted by all sorts of things. You know, they get distracted by relationships. There's an over concentration on money, uh, over concentration on work. There's an over concentration on kids. Even and these are all good things, but in the middle of all that they're not being honest, they're not having integrity with what they're doing, and they don't really have a, a system in place of checks and balances on those behaviors. You know, they don't have any tools, they're not growing, they're not going, you know what, it's not okay to not be honest in this situation, it's not okay to um, to to not practice humility. And so and that can manifest in a variety of ways, but I too, I, I haven't been there, so I don't know, of that sudden onset of that mental component, what that feels like, what that experience is like, all I've really seen it is re- is reported back to me. You know, people come in and they basically they kind of give me the same old shtick, and I know they've done this with you too, where it's, well, what were you doing every single day? And they'll be like, well, I was, you know, I was stealing from work, you know, or I was avoiding this confrontation with my boss, or. You know, I was really struggling in my marriage and I didn't do anything about it. You know, they're, they're engaging in, in something that doesn't sit well with their spirit. And so they reach out to the only thing that fixes that, and that's generally alcohol and drugs.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. It's kind of a, a relapse is a relapse on...
0: You go back to your old ideas. Yeah. You start using tools that aren't healthier. Yeah, or productive. You really got to
1: have... I mean, you've got to really kind of rewire your brain for what is um has purpose and and maybe that's it maybe you lose your purpose maybe that's maybe that's the start of a relapse is that you lose your purpose and whatever started shaping your idea around things you got influenced by other things because you put your you put what was important to you ahead of
0: what should be important wow, to you. it's like
1: you just get influenced by the wrong thing. You know, if you're in a facility and you're constantly being reminded of stuff and the whole being of it and the whole idea is that we practice principles and principles are a big part of it. If I go out of that and I become influenced by other things, I'm no longer in that, that arena of people who are really holding me accountable and are practicing these things where that is worth more in popularity or money or anything like that and I often would tell these guys like you're about to go into a world that doesn't give a shit about you that's what's about to happen you're like I need to go in the real world guess what you're about to go into a world where they don't give a shit you're gonna feel that and you're gonna be you're either going to recognize that and continue on your path or you're gonna be influenced by that and by influenced by that, you're going to succumb to that because you're going to be fear that you don't fit in. You're going to be feel like you're behind the eight ball. You don't make enough money. You don't do, so. Now I got to make the money. Now I got to do that. Well, in my experience, I I I've attained uh, several things, and I was still
0: miserable. Yeah, there's always that next one. Yeah. I got to get this one next one. It's I got to get power.
1: One. People, people love power. And you're like, how? Why don't you just retire? It's like because you want power because you can't deal without the power. You can't deal without being in control and being seen a certain way. Um, you know, seeking out spirituality and being involved in some fellowship stuff and 12 step, I just kind of like it. I'm not, that's not really necessary in my life anymore. In fact, I kind of try to avoid it. Um, there's certain pockets, you know, I like to have fun. I like to use, you know, make statements and stuff like that. Um, but. In the, in the big scope I don't want to be a poster child for anything poster man poster man
0: poster, I just said I poster don't child be, like, i like I'm so be a far poster away man. from being a kid man, you're, still, you're
1: still a child a little bit um, i still a child that, my sense of humor uh, some of us would think he's still a child but you know that's a big deal like so that's I've kind of devoted uh, like the last five or six years to different things and, it's, and a lot of it had to do with awareness of self you know I did um, not only the 12 step fellowship I did uh, work with Carolyn Ike on, you know, core emotional addiction stuff. And that's about rewiring uh, authenticity, you know, and connecting. There's always an idea of God and spirit. And that's the authentic self, that connection, that, that, you know, that thing that's in you, the unbroken thing. And I think people are scared of that unbroken thing. And they're uncomfortable when things are actually working out for them. You know, some people seek it, seek drama. That's what takes them out. They don't understand what peace is and serenity, and so they need the drama. So they create the drama. They need to be in power, so they create situations in which they can dominate and power. And well, they,
0: you know, well, so now you're getting into a, a little bit heavier of a yeah, topic.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, and I could go yeah. off on that because well, I, we will. You know, we
0: we we'll, well, we're going to get a chance to do that. In, well, I might in not some, want to talk about that. Later you know, later. Well, I know you're going to want to talk about it. I will. <laughs> In, uh, in some subsequent episodes, we're probably gonna go into s- to stuff like that a little bit more, but I think we've covered, you know, the majority of, of what we wanted to transmit to, to families and to drug addicts tonight, which is just very simply, just to recap, let's see if you got anything you wanna add into this. We talked about, you know, what is drug addiction? What are the signs and symptoms? Mm-hmm. We talked about um, some of the ways that people can do it, I guess, incorrectly, Mm-hmm. Uh, based in some ignorance, and, and from all sides of the spectrum—from the from the drug addict to the family to the professional—and mm-hmm. um, we talked about, you know, what does relapse look like? We talked about what is necessary in order to recover from this thing, in order to get better from drug addiction and alcoholism. We just we hit on some of the foundational key points that you got to understand to even begin to even broach the what you started talking I guess you about. The deeper stuff. Yeah, because there's a lot, lot more to this topic. Um, and we're gonna get into it, of course, at a later time. You know, we're gonna get into um, what people are doing wrong and right, you know, in the recovery field. We're gonna get into stuff that you talked about, different, you know, clinical techniques that we've picked up over the years. We're gonna talk about 12-step stuff. We're gonna talk about how to pick, oh, you're gonna like this one, how to, how to pick a good treatment center. And we'll even do a little bit of role play action on, okay, you figured out your kid's a drug addict, what do you do next? Like, what are the next steps? And we're gonna run through all that stuff. So there's a lot more in store um, to try and help people out. You know, we wanted, like we said at the beginning, we want to, we called the the podcast or the, the podcast series Maximum Service with, with Mark and John. And um, I like the idea of that because we want to try and cover as many topics as we can Um, to this very deep, deep um, topic.
1: Yeah, that's a huge... There's so much. I just want to reiterate, too, like, probably going to piss some people off. And that's not the intention. Um, Some of these are opinions, too. I don't know. They're just my opinions. Your experience, my experience. I'm not, you know, I'm never going to talk down to somebody if they're successful in doing stuff. I will call you out if I think you're doing something wrong, but it's my opinion. Um, have we left anything out? You know, I think, I think we've covered some of the stuff. Uh, of course, when we, like, focus a little bit more, uh, we can address, you know, some of the reasons why um, or techniques or, or, you know, things. I love the thing about the, the treatment center. Uh, I have lots of opinions on that
0: um because there's a right way and a wrong way to do it everyone there's believe it or not there are treatment centers out there that are simply turn and burn we want your money we don't care about your kid and we're going to tell you we care about your kid
1: yeah and uh you know i'll just say this it's it's hard um just you know before we you know the next time we do that you know working in the industry i'm going to say this kudos to anybody that can last it's a tough thing For all the people in the 12-step fellowships that still go out and mentor people and that have been there over and over, it's a tough thing. For all the treatment facility workers, it's a tough thing. Um, You don't get a lot of credit. You get a lot of blame for things. You take on a bunch of stuff. Maybe that's why we're kind of talking on this side, um, and and I hope that we can do that. Um, But, yeah, I want to say that. I want to give credit to everybody that's gone into battle trying to figure this thing out.
0: Well, you, um, you actually brought up something in my head yeah. that I, I hadn't gotten to touch on is this disease, this illness, it, it kills people. Mm. And John and I have seen um, many people die that didn't necessarily have to mm. simply because the family was uninformed. They were taught poorly. The individual was taught poorly. Um, a lot of the times it is, it is on the individual to practice the tools. But I've seen a lot of people die that, that don't necessarily need to. And that's kind of the idea, at least I had that in my mind about, about the whole thing, is if we can prevent one person from, from dying or someone uh, not having to go as far down as me and John did, then that's, that's what we want to do. That's the, the whole aim. Um, and, in, and within those conversations, you do have to say some difficult stuff that might yeah. piss people off. I mean, there is, there is a good intention and a good place in our heart um, that's why we wanted to to do something like this, um, and John's absolutely right. It will rip your spirit out and throw it all around to watch all of this happen, and then show up and smile and say you're grateful. You know that's the that's the thing is you show up day in and day out, and you grind and you work, and you don't really get much of a pat on the back sometimes. Right? The reward is. Yeah purpose
1: yeah the reward is when you hear six months or a year somebody says hey i'm doing really well and you're just like okay you know because that's that's the odds but yeah it is life or death um i think that's why it's passionate about it and that's why there's important to just talk about it you know and um you know life or death or or a life of misery and so you know trying to avoid that uh you know lately my mantra has been like i only got 40 years left i keep saying that because i don't know what i did to my body but i'm like (laughs) i got 40 years left if i want if you want to be you know tell people if you want to be miserable be miserable you know but i don't want that um and so there's an out to it you don't have to die you don't have to do that um yeah, just just reiterating that as we further kind of get into it and explain certain stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited to talk about some topics, and um, you know, I think that's a good wrap up.
0: All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us. Um, please stay tuned for the next one. It's going to be available wherever you can listen to your podcasts. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's it. I think we're good. I good job. Yeah. All right. Let's thank say. you.
1: All right, thanks for tuning in. You've got Maximum Service Podcast with Mark and John. Catch us on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. Please like and share and leave us a comment. See you soon.